Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we want to know you. And we want to share in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 16. And so I'd encourage you to grab those and go ahead and open up to Matthew 16. It's where Jason preached from last week. But to start out, I'd love to read a, kind of a heavy email that I got actually last Sunday from a good friend. And this friend has been in youth ministry for the past decade. And, uh, and I'm just going to read part of the email that he sent to me. He starts out and he says, yo, dog, I hope you are doing well. Um, it's a heavier email, but he did start out with yo, dog. Um, I need someone outside of my circles to vent about where I am in my faith. I feel like a switch was flipped overnight and I can't ignore all the thoughts in my head. I feel more like an agnostic than a Christian. I don't know feels like the answer that I'm giving myself to all of my questions. Is God in control? How can we trust that the Bible really is reliable? What is it with all these different interpretations and contradicting expressions? What even is eternity? What is hell? Does it really matter if I pray? Does it matter if I seek God? It feels like the only reasons to do these things right now for me are therapeutic. I don't necessarily feel far from God. I just feel this overwhelming sense of skepticism towards the church, towards Christian sayings, towards the Bible, how sure I've been about the gospel. It all just feels like man's attempt to make sense of life. I guess I'm just in a dark place on my journey and I feel alone. Maybe I'm just really burnt out on evangelicalism. Well, that was a lot. Thanks for reading. You know, from talking to some of you, I know that some of you here this morning uh, feel in a similar dark place of confusion and loneliness and fear with your faith. And for those of you who don't feel that, my guess is that you are probably close to someone who is maybe going through that right now. This is not the first email like this that I've gotten over the past six months. I know, um, I know we're in a, a major crisis in our country. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about systemic racism. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about a crisis that Jesus describes in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Paul describes the crisis in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4. He writes, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Hebrews 2.1 says, We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. 
So what causes us to drift away? What causes us to be led astray, to lose our life? Jim Rayburn was the founder of Young Life, and he was a meticulous journaler. And, uh, and there's this great book, The Diaries of Jim Rayburn, where you can read a lot of his prayers and his journals. And he wrote this in one of them. He said, if anyone grows tired of Christianity, it's because they have become preoccupied with something in the faith other than Jesus. If anyone grows tired of Christianity, it's because they have grown preoccupied with something in the faith other than Jesus. It can be pretty convicting for us to think about how many things and conversations we have around our faith and yet how tempting it is to easily neglect fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, our only hope. What does it look like for us to be a people of God who are occupied with Jesus, who fix our minds on him, who look at him, who want to know him, who listen to him and allow him to form our identity and what we believe instead of all the other concerns of our faith. You know, it it feels a lot of times like we are losing control in our country, of our health, of how things should be going. And even in our, in our churches, you know, it feels like there's this split that's happening in American churches and American Christianity, and, and it feels really heavy. And what is key for us during this time is we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we will not grow tired and weary. We're in a major crisis, and it's been a crisis since the beginning. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and he is going to do whatever it takes in 2020 to poison our relationship with Jesus as well. And one of Satan's greatest schemes is to making good things look really close to the gospel and making things that are a part of our faith look a lot like the truth, twisting them enough just to get us to buy into them. But this morning, we're just going to look at three verses here in Matthew 16, And we're going to look at the person of Jesus and ask him to reveal to us who he truly is and what is the true gospel. Who is Jesus? Last week, Jason preached on the middle part of this passage in Matthew 16. And Jesus asked this question, who do you say I am? And Peter responded, you know, I say that you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock. And on you, I will build my church. And then five verses later, what does Jesus call Peter? He says, rock, you are now a stumbling rock. You are a stumbling block that you are causing people to trip up over. Just five verses later, Peter went from being in this place of like, yes, I'm so close to Jesus. I get this. I know who he is to, man, what have I done? Like Jesus is more upset with me than he's been with any of the other disciples in the history of the gospels recorded in five verses. Y'all, one of the things that God has been doing in my life over the past few months is giving me like a short, shorter span of time between when I mess up and when I can feel like, oh man, I'm back. And um, I feel like a lot of times we get in this place when we, when we're like Peter, where we're like, yes, I'm close to God. And then we like do something stupid and we're like, man, I'm so far away from God. And it, and it takes 
in the past, it's taken me a long time to get back to where I feel like God wants to be near me again. And here in this passage, we see, we see this amazing thing happen. We see Jesus and Peter connected so closely. And then Peter say something really quick and stupid. And then in the next chapter, what do we see? We see Peter right there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have a God who longs to be near us. And when we are running away, he's saying, come back quickly. Come be with me. I want to be near you. But he does not want to let us wander. And so Peter is starting to wander right here. He's starting to walk away from the truth. And so Jesus grabs him and says, I love you enough that I'm going to tell you the truth, even though it's a hard truth. And we're just going to focus on these three verses in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. I encourage you to turn there if you have your Bibles. After Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus explains for Peter what that means. Because Peter has a different understanding of what it actually is. In verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Matthew's gospel that he wrote for us is divided into two parts, really two halves. And the first half is talking about Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the prophesied Savior and King. And the second half of the gospel of Matthew is about how that Christ must suffer and die and rise again. And here, Matthew 16, 16, Peter answers the question correctly, who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. But then Jesus begins to explain the second half, why the Messiah must come to suffer and die and to rise again. In verse 21, from that time on, Jesus explained that he must suffer, that he must be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. Now, this suffer many things that we see written here in the verse could also be translated, bear the weight of everything. I wonder if when Peter heard that, that if he heard echoes of the words that were prophesied in Isaiah's 53rd chapter, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus said, I must suffer. I must be killed. And then he said, and on the third day be raised to life. But I I bet Peter didn't even hear that part because he had heard this savior, this Messiah that he had been following tell him that he was going to be killed, and that stopped him in his tracks. And Peter responded like he does, and how we see him in most of the other gospel accounts, with a lot of passion. There's a lot of exclamation marks that follow things Peter says in Scripture. And Matthew records it that Peter took Jesus aside, and he began to rebuke him. 
I mean, another translation said Peter, um, that, that Peter took Jesus and began to yell at him. I mean, who knows really what his tone was here, whether he raised his voice or not. But the word rebuke is the same word that Jesus used when he rebuked the wind and the waves and got them to be still. And Peter's got all this moxie now because he's been told, you know, you're the rock. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to tell you what's up now that I'm the rock, Jesus. You're like, I'm going to rebuke you. You got this wrong. You know, and I'm the same way. Like I get fired up. Y'all know me. Like I get fired up about something. And sometimes some of you have just had to said, chillax, like calm down, Drew, settle, settle down. And I imagine like Jesus was not just saying to Peter here, settle down. Because what Peter said was not just something that was, was kind of wrong. It wasn't just kind of a slight twist on the truth. What Peter said was absolutely against what Jesus had come to do. Because in this moment, Peter has this major faith crisis. And much like my buddy who sent that email, he gets it, he gets it wrong. Peter's stuck in the middle of these two beliefs and they are colliding with one another in his head. And he doesn't pause. He just lets it slip out of his mouth, the collision. And we hear the collision. And here's what's colliding. He has a belief that the Messiah, much like Jason told us last week, that the Messiah was all about winning and conquering and worldly success. Jesus is coming as the conquering king to save the day. And Peter's like, I know this guy. I'm close to him. I'm going to be on the winning team. Like, this is good for me. I am excited to ride the coattails of this guy, and he's going to win. That's his belief, that Jesus is the conquering king. But Jesus' belief is that Messiah means something different. That Messiah means suffering and dying. So this morning, we've got to wrestle with the same thing that Peter believed. We've got to wrestle with our beliefs. What do we really believe about Jesus and and what is true about him? Does it really mean that we have to take up our cross and die if we want to follow this Messiah? We live in a crisis. We live in a world where the enemy is prowling around and whispering in our ears, you don't have to suffer. You should not suffer. You should not have to pick up your cross. You're a Christian. I mean, things should be easier for you. I mean, if you pray and God's happy with you, he should do good things for you. He should answer your prayers. It shouldn't rain if you're going out for a family picnic. I mean, God, if he really loved you, would stop that rain. I mean, that's a silly example, but isn't that something that kind of sneaks into our belief system a lot of times where we think if I am honoring God with my life, then he shouldn't let bad things happen to me. The enemy is whispering in our ears, yes, you must become obsessed with worldly success and with power and with more, with more money, with more fame, with more followers, with more attention, with more pleasure, we become obsessed with wanting to be a success. But the way of Jesus is the opposite. Satan leads up, but Jesus leads down. In Luke 16, in the parable of the shrewd manager, Luke writes this, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of Jesus' teachings and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. 
Another translation said, what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. What do we prize? What do you prize? What do you value highly? What are you seeking for? What are you clamoring for? What do you need more of in order to feel secure in this world? For us, it is often the things that Satan is whispering in our ears, the very thing that Peter is fighting for. Everything easier. We do not want to suffer. And I don't want to preach a sermon on suffering this morning. That terrifies me. But we have an obsession in our world with thinking that following Jesus does not mean going the way of the cross. And that's absolutely not true. And Jesus wants us to be clear of that. And so he responds to Peter in a way like he's not responded to anyone else in all of scripture. When Peter talks to Jesus this this way, listen to how Jesus responds to him. He says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can you picture Jesus turning on his heels and looking at, at Peter in this way, responding to his unsolicited advice? One uh, commentator translated it from Greek, Jesus wheeled around on his heels. And what does he say? He says, get behind me, Satan. He knows that Satan is trying to deceive Peter from knowing the way of Jesus and trying to convince Peter that worldly success is the way of Jesus, the way of the Messiah. But the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And so Jesus says, get behind me. Why did he say that? Why did he say that phrase, get behind me? I think he was saying, Get back in line where you belong following me. You know, so often we refer to ourselves as Christians or believers. But one great way for us to remind ourselves who we truly are is to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because in order to follow him, we have to let him lead. We got to get back in line behind him and let his words let us know what is true. And at first when we hear Jesus say this, like, get behind me, Satan, we can think like, oh, he, he's being pretty harsh with Peter, right? He's saying, get back in line behind me. But where does he take him next in this next chapter? To the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus wants to be near Peter. He wants to know Peter and he wants to be fully known by Peter. And he cannot let any false beliefs get between him and Peter. What we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. And we have got to be a people who allow God's holy word to inform us instead of us taking our opinions and trying to put them back into scripture. Jesus wants to show us his glory, just like he showed Peter his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the way to see the glory of God is through the cross. There is no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. Now, we as the church and as individuals, we are always going to be tempted to want to take the world's high road, the easier road, the road of security, rather than the low road of Jesus. We're going to be tempted to put our faith in the methods of the world and to imitate the world. But we as the church have to look really differently at, at how we see this thing. We've got to appear different to the, to the world because we are different. We are the sons and daughters of God, and he has called us to follow in his way. 
So let's look different as the people of God. Let's be a people who walk the low road. If we truly want to follow Jesus, then we've got to follow the suffering Christ on the way to the cross. And when we trust him, we can trust that the way of the cross leads to the empty tomb, that it leads to the resurrection. And if he can resurrect from the dead, then he can do that again with our lives. So I'm going to leave you with two ways to take this home, two application points that you can meditate on this week as you think through, how do I fix my eyes on Jesus and, and go the way of the cross? The first is just to create some daily space in your life each morning to be with Jesus, to let him be your number one priority. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in church, having a quiet time was just kind of something like we all did. It was something that was normal and expected. And as I get older, it becomes harder and harder to do that. And there are more and more things vying for our time and energy. But the most important thing that you can do is to fix your eyes on Jesus and do that as your number one priority and say, Jesus, I want to hear you speak to me. I mean, I wonder what would have happened if Peter would have listened to Jesus instead of trying to say what he wanted to say first, if he would have just paused. So maybe even consider taking some just moments of silence in your time alone with him in the morning and just being silent and asking the Lord to speak to you through his word. And then secondly, pray a bold prayer. Pray this prayer, Jesus, make me aware of the enemy's plots to wear me down and to deceive me. Jesus, make me aware of the enemy's plots to wear me down and to deceive me. Show me the false beliefs that I have. Reveal those to me. Jesus, reveal to me how Satan is whispering in my ear and what lies that I am believing. I opened um, with a prayer from Philippians 3, verse 10, and I'd love to close by reading the message translation of that verse. Paul writes this. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, so that I could experience his resurrection power and be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. Amen. Amen.